Pop Culture Affidavit, Episode 86, Talk and Shop at the Virginia Comic Con. First things first, I'm a craftsman. Craftsman. Remodeling is my only passion. It's my passion. And I'm the greatest in the business. Want referrals, yo? My clientele will bear you witness. Right, right. I can help when your door jam sticks. Huh? There is nothing in the world I can't fix. Yeah. I do tiles, I do stone, I do bricks. Call me, I'll come rushing over with my bag of tricks. Bag of tricks. Where you go when your disposal is rusted? Rusted. I might problem making you disgusted. Yuck. When your front window is busted. Just one name that's always trusted. I'm so handy. You already know. I'll fix your plumbing. Hello and welcome to episode 86 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. This episode is a little different than what I had originally planned. I had originally planned an episode where I took a look at two cop comics from the late 1980s and early 1990s. Underworld by Robert Lauren Fleming and Early Cologne, and Cops the Job by Larry Hama and Joe Jesco, uh, Mike Harris, and Jimmy Palmiotti. Those will come out. Those will come out later in April. I'll talk a little bit about that at the end of the episode. Uh, but instead, I, back in the beginning of the month, was a guest at the Virginia Comic-Con on Sunday, March 4th. Uh, in addition to going there and doing some shopping, which I'll talk about later after my first couple of segments, I hosted a panel. Well, it wasn't much so much of a panel, it was a lecture, because I was the only panel <laughs> person on the panel, but it was called Comics Podcasting 101, and I sat down with a very small audience of people uh, and talked to them about you know, how you make a comics podcast and where to find great comics podcasts. And uh, I had a really, really good time with it. And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about that here today uh, and also share with you guys a couple of interviews that I managed to get as a result of my being on the panel. Uh, and I will do that after this. Your heating bills are shocking. I can solve that with some duct tape and some clocking. Your house is a disaster, huh? Need a guy who's a master with a plaster, huh? Let me be your stripper. Taking off lacquer, no one does a quick. My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a back to the men's taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine, or am I good where I'm at? Well, now you do. <laughs> if I have to mine, you have to yours. You might want to yours only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right. Because what will happen is it will be used to you at a particular time, and then if you go out of that it scrambles to uh, a and it doesn't fast enough so it's better to just set it up oh, okay it, it really doesn't work well so i checked right. uh i checked my uh mm -hmm. my pro okay. it definitely built build me for the hotel for all three of us join back to the bins every week for goodness solomon grundy hate voiceovers and i'm back so I'll get into the, the comics panel part of this in the second segment of the show. Uh, the first one I want to do is actually the creator interviews. I 
I managed to get, which uh, I actually wasn't expecting. Um, at the end of the comics interview, uh, the comics podcasting panel, um, when everybody had cleared out and I was cleaning up all my stuff, um, Brian, who was one of the who was the event coordinator there, uh, and I were just chatting. We're chatting about what I do and in, in, in the comics podcast, and we we're talking about like you know the show and stuff. And he mentioned there were a couple of creators at the show. Uh, one of which was Gary Cohn, who helped co-create both Blue Devil and Amethyst, Princess of Gemworld, and uh, Bob Sodaro, who uh, was a is a comics was a comics writer. And uh, I'd heard of Gary Cohn, um, and I had originally seen the announcement that he was going to be there, but I had not had a chance to really kind of gear up and see whether or not I was going to be able to see him. And uh, Brian said, "Well, well, let me go introduce you to them, and uh, you know, they love they love to talk, they love to tell stories, and basically that's what I got out of it. Um, I, I had a chance to stand and chat with with Bob, and then and sit and chat with Gary for a little bit, and I managed to get some footage of it. Um, I've done my best to, best to edit out some of the background noise. It was a little bit noisy as these things uh, are, and I was unfortunately using my cell phone instead of my usual MP3 recorder because the batteries had died which is one of a couple of rookie mistakes that i made that day but i did get some really fun stories out of both bob and gary so i'm going to put that in here and i uh, hope you enjoy it Tom, this is Hi, Bob how, are how you doing i was a prolific writer of comics and all things comics related yes i'll take that <laughs> it, it's almost true and i, I will let you introduce gary i will all right i'll let you guys do it thanks so you do a podcast i do um, i do a podcast uh do two on comics uh, one i'm doing a podcast called in country that's covering the nom from you know uh, issue by issue but the other one i do is called pop culture affidavit which is really just a catch-all random whatever i want to talk about every episode so. i uh, um i interviewed uh, um larry hama for a number of times when he was writing the novel. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a fascinating character. I met yeah I met him. God, 2012 or so. It was the Baltimore Comic Con. Yeah. I, I mean, I might have talked to him for about 30 seconds because the line was extremely long. Sign a few GI Joe issues. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's hilarious. He was uh, he thinks uh, superheroes are fascists, and he's uh, you know. And, <laughs> He's just, and I would talk to him, I said, so uh, what's happening in the next issue of the NAM? He said, uh, what was happening on June 23rd, 1978? I don't know. Well, that's what's happening in the NAM. Thanks, Gary. You know, uh, but. That was one of my favorite things about that series, at least at the beginning, how they were yeah. doing real time. Yeah. Um, so you, you wrote, he was, uh, Brian was saying you were for Marvel Age. Yeah, I worked for, uh, um, I spent much of the 80s and 90s, uh, uh, much of the 80s, I was uh, one, perhaps one of the most prolific journalists in the field of comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote for, it would be easier for me to tell you who I didn't write for. I wrote for everybody from Amazing Heroes to Wizard. I wrote for CBG, Hero Illustrated. Um, I didn't write for uh, um, uh, um, Comic Scene. Okay. And that, that was it. But uh, other than that, I wrote, I wrote for everybody. Uh, and then I, I, and then I started. I wrote, uh, and then like '87 or so, I wrote this uh, series, Agent Unknown, for uh, Renegade Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, Denny Lebert, uh, um, Dave Sims' ex-wife, was okay. running it at the time, and uh, I, I did that. And uh, about 10 years ago or so, 15 years ago, I started a friend of mine uh, that I had met when I was worked. I worked at Marvel briefly as a freelancer. Uh, he, uh, he said, you know, he forming a comic book uh, company and he wants uh, he's looking for writers and he wanted me to work with them and then I agreed and I started writing funny books 
Oh, which is uh, and they're funny books because that's what my uncle calls them. <laughs> called them when he was alive, and uh, he he owned the grocery store, and I used to sit on the on his newsstand and read them for free when they were twelve cents. And look at all the money I'm saving by reading twelve cent comic books for free. And if I tell you, I read probably over a million dollars worth of comic books. I can imagine. Uh, yeah, you you know you can't. You have yeah. no idea. Um, and I read them all, and I didn't buy them, and I went back and I bought a bunch of them, and I, I then since sold them off. But that's beside the point entirely. But uh, yeah, I worked for Marvel Age. Uh, um, I, I kind of got uh, I, I, I started there early on, and I worked for them early on. Then I worked for them. I also wrote for Marvel, uh, did a bunch of Marvel, the Marvel and DCs, you know, uh, uh, background stuff. I I also did uh, um, wrote not for Marvel, but I I wrote parts of. Uh, the Stanley's How to Create Comics books. Oh, okay. you know, there, there, there's two, of, there's three out now, and a fourth one's coming out this year. And I wrote for this, the, the third one, and my work is going to show up in the fourth one. And the cool part of that is, uh, I get to tell all my funny book friends, um, "Yeah, I'm Stanley, and you're not." <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. But yeah, you know, and uh, um, so I've, I've been doing this, and this is this is a lot of fun. I mean, I, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I, I got to you know. In 95, I wanted to go to San Diego. I'd never been to the San Diego show. Mm-hmm. And I, I called up a couple of my publishers, uh, guys I'd been working for. I literally working for everybody. I, I was doing work for Image and Marvel and DC and Dark Horse and Valiant. And uh, all of it was like marketing and communications. I was doing uh, interviewing uh, their, their their creators and getting it. And, and then they, they were getting it published in, in some of the many journals that were out there. And uh, um, called up... Uh, uh, guy I knew it over at uh, uh, Malibu and I said so what's the chance of you uh, sending me out to uh, San Diego and he laughed at me and he went no that was good I was having a bad day and you, you made me feel better and I went well I'm glad I could help out with that but yeah that didn't help me at all and then I called uh, um, and I've been doing work for Image so I called up my uh, my contact at Image and I said uh, can you what's the chance of you sending me out to San Diego and he went let me look into it and he called me back a couple of days later and said book a flight come on out we got you covered. So they cool. flew me out there, they put me up, and I got to go to San Diego, and it was one of the best shows I've ever been to. It was, it was, a, it was a 95 show, as I said, and I, I had a cover feature, I had a, I had a featured article in every one of the magazines that was represented there, and it was like a dozen magazines. Oh, nice. And it was like the high, and then like six months later, the market crashed and everything was gone. <laughs> that, that, for a moment, I was writing on it, and I got to, you know, and I, I'm hanging out with Rob Liefeld, and I'm hanging out with, you know, with, with Jim Lee, and I'm hanging out with these guys that are, you know, superstars, and I'm just hanging out. Actually, there was a funny that uh, Liefeld was doing a uh, they were doing a signing and they had a a, a whole the whole Im- uh, extreme crew was up there and, and there was a line it was like uh, um, it was like an e ticket at Disney World a four hour wait to get there and I had nothing to do and nothing to say and I went I'm gonna do I'm gonna talk to Rob right now and. I walked past the, the, the security guard who looked like a, a gorilla. They shaved him and put him in a t-shirt and Reeboks. And I walked right by him and he saw my, <laughs> my, my pro badge on and assumed I knew what I was doing. And I walked up, walked up behind Rob and I said, hey, Rob. Oh, hey, Bob, what are you doing? What's going on? And, you know, and I'm talking to him and he's signing on. And, and everybody's walking by going, who's that guy talking about? <laughs> and, and that was, and to me, that's the moment I wanted. I just wanted that look from these guys. 
I had nothing to say to him, but I chose that moment to do it because it was a fun thing to do. That's nice. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but you know, I've, I've met and I've interviewed Stan. I've met and uh-huh. I've interviewed Colin Ellison. I've met and I've interviewed you know, a bunch of these big guys. And it's always fun. And meanwhile, I want to... I'm going to break in. I'm going to I'm going to shift to you, but first I want to ask him, do you eat sushi? Sure. I had. I took it home one time, cooked it up. Tasted just like shrimp. Uh, <laughs> right. Sorry. Um, so. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. I've got a sushi place for us okay. um, called. Uh, if you knew sushi like I knew sushi. Sumo Sun, and they're in. Uh, they're on Main Street in Shaco, and it's a good place. Okay. And. And I'm Gary. And this is Gary. Yeah. And Gary, Who used are you? To... Tom. 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 What do you do, Gary? Tom? Um, Besides this. my day job? Yeah. Uh, teacher. <laughs> well, teach? I'm a high school English teacher. Me too. Actually. There you go. I have a retired New York oh, City high school English and social studies. Uh, very nice. I grew up on Long Island. My dad was an AP oh, bio teacher for 33 years. So I got 14 in, and I turned uh, 62, and I said, "It's time." <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, I live in Charlottesville at the moment, so I teach over there. Okay. Um, no, I, 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 for this capacity, I have a podcast uh, that uh, is a, it's called Pop Culture Affidavit. It's just kind of a catch-all comics and TV and movies and stuff. And uh, I was just doing a quick lecture on podcasting over there. Okay. And uh, Brian brought me over because um, I mentioned that a number of years ago I did... Uh, a miniseries on my show where I around it was it was 2015 because DC had just turned 80 so I did uh, a series of episodes where I took a look at many of the non superhero genres they did and and, uh, I mentioned that I did one of the ones was Sword and Sorcery so I covered at least I might have I don't remember what issue of Amethyst but I think it was either the first issue of the miniseries or it was the uh, the preview in um Legion of Superheroes okay. and so he mentioned that you were here so I just thought I'd ask you about how Amethyst came about because it was it was always a, it was I had one for years I had one issue which was one of the later ones okay I had one issue was the later ones because I think it was the one that cr- crossed over with uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths which I don't know if you had you were on this book anymore no but I was always kind of fascinated with the series so I started collecting it anything beyond the first 12 issues, mm-hmm. including the 10 issues I wrote afterwards, uh-huh. is Apocrypha. Okay. <laughs> uh, the only thing that isn't Apocrypha are the seven minutes of animation that Brie-Andrew Harden did a few years ago for Cartoon Nation mm-hmm. and, and Cartoon Network. And that's the only thing anybody's ever done with Amethyst right. after what we did, including yeah. the 10 issues we did. So, so the but how the character in the miniseries come about? Because so, I I've read that and uh, so so me and Dan have known each other since we were fourteen years old, mm-hmm. and we kind of ended up at Michigan State together, and then I went to Bowling Green for our graduate program, Popular Culture Studies, and he joined me the next year, and we were teaching assistants. We had Jason guests in the office, and we bang around ideas. Mm-hmm. So. We started sending ideas to DC, and eventually Jack Harris bought a three-page story for us from, for Time and at that point we were writing. So one of the things we started saying, Dan had just become the father of, an, of a daughter, and we're saying, there's not much for girls, is there? Let's come up with something for girls. Okay, what's the common girl fantasy, the most common girl fantasy? Your parents aren't your parents. You're secretly a magical princess, <laughs> and you've got a heritage, you know, wonderful magical world. But the bad thing happened, and so you're you're a changeling, 
and here you are, and someday that world's going to come back for you, and you're going to have to do something heroic and wonderful and princessy. And we said, well, we call it. Let's call it the Changeling. And so we had that. And a few years later, I'm in New York work doing stuff for DC. And we were asked to pitch something, and Dan was in Michigan. We, were off, we had these long phone conversations. And how about that Changeling thing? And Dan said, wait a minute. Gemstone. Amethyst Princess of Gemworld. That's nice. And it all flowed from how did that? And I see I know Ernie Cologne Ernie did the Col- art. So, so originally it was just going to be a short backup in some other book. And so, who do you want as the artist? And I'd met Ernie in the DC offices, and I remember something that he'd done for Atlas called The Grim Ghost. Mm. That guy's terrific, and he's got just the right style. And so we met with him again. He was surprised that that's what I'd seen of his that made him um, the guy for it. But we hit it off great. He was just this wonderful, amazing master artist. He was 20, yeah, about 20 years older than we were and had been in business for a very long time. And he was this amazing addition. Now, you also co-created Blue Devil, yeah. I believe. Now, that, that came after, around the same time? As around Amethyst, the same it? time. I think Blue Devil number one came out about six months after Amethyst number one. Okay, and where, where did the concept for that come from? Because it was definitely a... It, it was not... I've read a few issues, and I, I really enjoy them. It's not like other superhero books in the time. Dan and I remember this story slightly differently. We were just at Pensacon telling this um, Dave Manick was editing some of the anthology books and again looking for like a 14 page feature in one of them like like uh, I Vampire had been mm-hmm. and he says to us uh, says me because Dan was still in Michigan you know Ditko's looking for something to do why don't you come up with something for Ditko who had drawn our first story so I got all excited Ditko Ditko and I called Dan Ditko Ditko and he said, well, we got, what would it go like? He'd like something that was really typical Marvel. So how about, you have a character that jumps around because he's got that kinetic movement. A character that's got all that movement, like Spider-Man. And then we've got to have a character who's got that magical stuff like Doctor Strange, because he does weird words. Yeah, let's take some other things from Marvel. Um, let's give him a super costume like, like Iron Man. But let's give him a problem like the thing and get him stuck in the costume. <laughs> and let's get a Ditko kind of name. You mean like Green Goblin? Yeah, like a Blue Devil? Yeah, he's a devil. And, and that's how it generates. And <clears throat> so we wrote up a proposal for all of that. And we give it to Manic. And he shows it to Ditko. And I call him the next day. So what did Ditko think? And he said, Ditko said, you know, that's not really my kind of thing. <laughs> but so... I had done one thing with Paris. We'd done Paris was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And I said, that thing could do it, right? And so we met with Paris. Paris and I had already become friends. And so, Great. Paris Collins. Um, so what have you done uh, lately? Anything that you want to... Um, I spent 15 years as a high school teacher. <laughs> yeah, you, you will understand this. Um, I was 46 years old. I had no money. I had a bunch of comics with my name on it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I had lined up a lot of work, it all went away. And I realized, I can't do this anymore. I've been changing, chasing this for 20 years. I have an education, I've taught college. I'll get certified to teach high school. And I got hired by New York City. And when I knew I had a job, when you're a writer, you're at a party, so it's, what do you do? Write a cool. Well, there's no interest. What do you do? I'm a teacher. Hey. <laughs> oh. So, right. Oh. Oh, I could never do that. Well, I could never do that, or, oh, I hated my teachers. Just something. Or you that, get the summers that, off. Yeah, you get the summers <laughs> off. Yeah, all those things. Yeah. All those things that, that knock what yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah, So, and I knew that the ego boost was gone. From now on, and I looked in the mirror for about 10 minutes over and over saying, I'm not a writer, I'm a teacher. I'm not a writer, I'm a teacher. And when I walked away, I wasn't a writer anymore. Hmm. And basically for 14 years, I wasn't a writer. Yeah, you write a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I wasn't somebody doing this. And I didn't. And then... I met our art teacher, Ray Felix, uh-huh. who turns out to be this guy who uh, makes his own comics. He's the guy who beat Marvel in DC for the use of the word superhero in the title. They sent him the cease and desist order for a book he was doing called The World Without Superheroes, and Ray just stands his ground. Mm-hmm. He said, no, this is a word that's been in common parlance before you used it. I'm going to prove it. He found instances of it in print from 1915, and he became somebody who, instead of dreading them, would call their lawyers, saying, look at this, and pushed and pushed, and they finally backed down, and they said, okay, you can use it. If you, if you do one issue every two years with that title, we're not going to bother you. If you stop doing that, then we're going to say you don't have the right to do it. But he beat them. So he said, what have you got? I said, look at a few things. Um, he liked this, Nemesis, Daughter of Night. <clears throat> so when I worked for DC, they would print tens of thousands of copies of what I wrote. Ray and I have printed tens of this. <laughs> there are a hundred copies of this comic. I have two left. So she's the daughter of Nyx, the goddess of night. And she's probably also Zeus's daughter. Um, and we worked plot script, so he threw things in like um, these pretty little fairies. Mm-hmm. So I had to do something with them, so I made them like a Greek chorus. They're commenting on the action. So Nemesis is chasing Arcos the satyr, who um, he's a he's a satyr gone bad. He instead of frolicking with wood nymphs, he tears their guts out and eats them. And and Nemesis is the, the vengeance goddess, so she's after him. And she catches him, and she's going to kill him again, because everybody comes back to life. Mm-hmm. But Zeus has his eye on her, and makes a grab for her when she's not looking. And Nyx shows up and to fight him. And while they're battling, she opens a doorway to somewhere, and Nemesis ends up in Times Square in the 1980s. Oh, interesting. And from there on, it wants to be a story of the gods in New York. Where did where did she go? I found, Hermes has found it. Earth, hey, we forgot about that place. Wonder what's going on there. And they're gonna follow her there and see what's going on. Uh, they don't know uh, Zeus and his inner 
gang, they don't know that uh, Apollo and Dionysus are already there running Studio 54. <laughs> Poseidon is down at Coney Island running the Russian mobs. So some of them are already there. Cool. And the Norse gods are on their way too. Oh, very cool. In my defense, I came up with all this before American Gods is ever written. And it's different enough, so I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, thank you. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And I'd like to thank uh, Brian and Brett at the Virginia Comic Con. Uh, Brian, who introduced me to Bob and Gary and Brett for setting the whole thing up. I'd like to thank uh, Bob Sodaro and Gary Cohen. I will link to uh, any work that I could possibly link to of theirs in the show notes on the blog. Uh, they were both fantastic conversations and I was very, very grateful for that. When I get back, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Podcasting 101 panel that I held, uh, a little bit about what I bought at the Virginia Comic Con, and then I'll uh, do some listener feedback because I actually have a few emails, so stick around. Great comics come in all shapes and sizes. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's Digest Cast, a new show dedicated to our beloved pocket-sized treasures from that bygone era of the 70s and 80s. Hosted by the Fire and Water Podcast team of Robin Shag, and we'll be joined from time to time by special guests. It's Digest Cast, because big things come in small packages. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. So I mentioned uh, right before I aired the interviews with with Bob Sodaro and Gary Cohn that I made a rookie mistake in that I had my MP3 recorder with me. I have a Sony MP3 recorder that I usually use to record any time I go to a show, and I had put it in my bag the 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 morning of the show without checking to see the battery if the batteries were were any good and the batteries had died so I didn't have that with me now I had my cell phone with me and your cell phone if you're ever if you're ever recording things um and you're just starting out and I always tell people who I talk to comic about talk to about podcasting with I always tell them this um your cell phone has a really solid voice recorder now sometimes I don't know about what the iPhone does I know the 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 Samsung Galaxy um, that I have I have like the Galaxy S5 because this phone's a few years old it's a pretty solid recorder the only the only um, downside of it it doesn't have a really good noise canceling feature on it the way that the the I think the I think the MP3 recorder I had was like maybe a thirty dollar MP3 recorder. It's not really that sophisticated, and it really is like one step up from the old micro cassette recorder, you know. And 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 it's a really really useful device for, for recording. Well, I'm an idiot and forgot to check the batteries, but I had the I had the um, the cell phone, so I went to record from the interviews I was using my cell phone. The other rookie mistake I had was that I was doing the panel and I had my blue microphone as a demo but I, I guess I had not picked up or, or, or d- flipped the switch in the back and I have a blue snowball and the blue, this blue snowball is probably about like it's probably about four or five years old at this point I think it was about four years old at this point and I didn't flip the switch in the back that allows it to kind of like widen its recording scope uh, to where you have a larger room or something I think that's what it's supposed to do so 
I listened, tried listening to the audio that I had recorded during my panel, and you can hear me, but you can hear me as if I'm standing like halfway across the room. So unfortunately, the audio didn't come out. Um, Brian later said, you know, had I known, we would have, I could have totally plugged you into the mixing board. We could have recorded right into the mixing board. And I was like, oh, maybe next time, you know, I hope there is a next time. But um, so, yeah, rookie mistakes on my part. And, and I, I deliberately had the blue snowball there to show off some equipment. I had my laptop there to demonstrate audacity and, you know, show what it looked like when you were actually recording. So you could see the, the wave go by and, and kind of point out different tools and things like that and uh had um had they had actually like a way to project it onto a screen they didn't have a projector or a screen there so it was um it, it that would have been like ideal and and if i ever get the chance to do that i, I totally will um but what i did was uh, a number of weeks ago they put out a call for people who might be interested in going to the show and doing this doing a lecture i guess they had some open spaces and I pitched, you know, comics podcasting 101, you know, what goes into a podcast, um, et cetera. And then I got a reply back and they said, come in on Sunday. I said, sure. And, and got myself, you know, all set up and, and it was great. And I went, uh, actually went a few hours early and my original intent was to actually go to um, a store that a lot of people have been talking about, which is called Ollie's Bargain Bin, or Ollie, it's called, people refer to it as Ollie's, and I found that there are a few in, there's at least two in the Richmond area, one of which is not too far from the Short Pump Shopping Center, which is on the western outskirts of Richmond or the western side of Richmond which is closest to Charlottesville closer to Charlottesville than say like the airport or some of the other areas and unfortunately um, I skipped that um, I was driving on in and I'm like you know I don't know where the raceway is I don't know if I'm gonna get stuck in traffic and I basically, and I'm like, I want to make sure that I get there and I have enough time because then I want to leave and make it home in time for dinner, you know. So I was just kind of like running through the day in my head and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to take this side trip. And then in the interest of kind of being overprotective of my time or myself or whatever, I, or overly cautious is probably the best way to put it. I decided to 86 the trip to Ollie's, which is kind of a bummer because I, I, mean, I might go out there at some point in the future, although... You know, based on um, what I'm seeing, I'm like, I don't know. I I, I, I don't know if I'm I'm je just jealous of everybody who has one and they're making these trips or if I really, really need to go because I'm trying to cut back on the amount that I buy. Um, but I did go there and I did do some shopping and I'll, I'll talk about what I did buy in terms of back issues uh, before, um, before I get to the emails. But for the podcasting thing, so the podcasting 101 thing was not very hard to gather. And the reason is that I've actually done some professional development about podcasting before for teachers. Last year, last school year, at the beginning of the school year, my old school had um, what they've been doing for a few years, which they call the academic fair. And the academic fair is basically this uh, one-day PD roundtable thing where you go to a bunch of different sessions hosted by a bunch of different people. 
Uh, they usually use the high school for it, and you get a bunch of recertification points for your license, and it covers a lot of your in-service credit for the year. And I talked about podcasts, and I would talk about podcasts in the terms of, like, hey, like what could you do as a class project? Um, fast forward to this past summer, I actually taught a class for six weeks at the University of Virginia's Summer Enrichment Program to middle schoolers about podcasting. And it was three two-week sessions. So basically, I taught the same class, two-week class, three times. And that was pretty cool. I had, a, I had a pretty fun time doing it. I won't be doing it this summer because I just have vacation plans and things that just don't line up with, the, um, with what I wanted to do. But what I do have kind of is a pedigree for actually talking about podcasting. And, and I, I do love talking shop about podcasting sometimes in the same way I like talking shop about teaching or comic book collecting even. And uh, I always enjoy having listening to other people talk about what they do and what goes into their podcast. And I think the reason for that is I'm always trying to improve the way I do my show. So anyway, this past year uh, in the fall, I did a 10 to 20 minute bit about podcasting in a department meeting for some PD. And then uh, this came up. So I took the materials that I had already been using for comics, for podcasting, for teachers, and tweaked them for comics fans and sat down. And, and honestly, there were like 10 people in the room. But, you know, I, I had a good time just sitting down there and talking to them about like, you know, here's the basic equipment and here's how you can start a podcast really on the cheap because when i started my first show uh you know the first episode of the show i was using a 20 dollar microphone and i was posting it to a relatively free i might have actually had a paid account on podomatic uh but it was like at the lowest level and then and then scott asked me to join ttf but you know just kind of those things where like you don't need a full-on recording studio. And even I have the level of equipment that I would probably say is mid-grade. You know, I have a, a Snowball microphone that's probably about $69.99 with a $14.95 pop filter over it, which has been tremendously helpful. I have a pair of um, earphones that I'm wearing that is a few years old, but they're a pair of gaming headphones that are probably about like, 60 bucks or so and you know that's that's a little bit it's about 120 dollars worth of worth of expenses but you know i know people who have you know who upgraded to like the yeti mic or, or who, who you know or they're like there are podcasts out there that i listen to that are done through networks and, and podcasting services that are you know they raise money for an enormous amount of money to get you know to, to do their thing regularly because they're essentially renting recording space or whatever they're doing, or they're produced by an actual national broadcast organization like an NPR or something. So, you know, I don't consider myself in competition with something like Serial, but at the same time, um, you know, I wanted to come at it with the kind, of, the kind of thing where it's like, guys, you can do this, you can do a homemade show and have it be really good. And so that's what I sat down and talked about. I recommended, um, I talked about how my, my own story and, and how I did this. And I really just went through, you know, what is it that you do in a podcast? Um, the equipment you can use and, and how Audacity works. And then just kind of walk through um, some tips and tricks of like, you know, the kind of what to do, what not to do. The idea that you you, you get into your topic and you... You, you you want to focus on it, you want to have a really good theme for your show, um, you know, 
the idea that you should go out and listen to shows, listen to shows that are of your interest and see what they do. Um, I jokingly say that, like, you know, I ripped off so many other podcasters at this point. It's not even funny because I just, I'm partially I'm influenced by other people and other parts partially I'm like, we kind of, we kind of all swipe for one another, I think. But, you know, uh, I, I am not the first podcaster to open up a show with a song and, you know, then, or, or do a summary and review of a movie or, or have somebody sit down and do their, you know, their back or back and forth on a particular, you know, a particular series or something. I mean, you know, and, and if I said that I was, I'd be like a total egomaniacal liar. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I looked at this and I'm like, you know, this is pretty good. I wasn't like hugely popular there, but at the same time, I never really sought to make money off of the show. Um, but it would be cool to, I get to know more people, maybe do stuff like this, because I, I discovered how much I do enjoy, I mean, I'm a teacher, so I do kind of enjoy the teaching and lecturing about it, um, I, and I will readily admit, and I don't know if Mike's listening to this, but I am very, I get very jealous listening to Mike's, Mike Bailey's, um, Dragon Con episodes, because, he's on these panels and I'm like, dude, I would love to sit in a room with four other people in front of an audience and just talk about, you know, insert topic here. And so that's kind of like, it's kind of like me building, like taking the first step toward the dream or something, you know, like getting, getting like, I, I would love to like, I would honestly love to, and I know it's not something that would happen this year, but I would love to get like three or four people together and Baltimore or something and be all like, Let's do comics podcasting 101. Let's talk shop about, you know, how you can make your own. Because they have, like, so many make-your-own cosplay panels there and, like, you know, um, and things like that where I'm like, they could easily, easily have something like that. So so maybe that's maybe just kind of a hope for the future. But um, I just wanted to, to just take this few minutes and, and unfortunately not air my own audio because I'm an idiot and didn't have it. But at the same time, um, take these few minutes and th- and and just talk a little bit about it and how much fun I had, and thank uh, Brett from the Virginia Comic Con who originally sent out the request for for accepting it, and then of course Brian who was the event coordinator. I really do appreciate your help as well. Now as for the show itself, uh, the Virginia Comic Con happens at the Richmond Raceway. Um, I think it's had other locations in the past, but it's in this smaller building on the side of the Richmond Raceway. That is, um, it's a much smaller show than what I have, like, than what I have in Baltimore. And I'm not trying to sound insulting, but, like, you know, the Baltimore Comic Con has grown to the point where they're using the larger part of the Baltimore Convention Center. And they have a huge floor. Um, and they, in fact, they, they take up, like, two or three floors of the building. Like, you know, there's the panel rooms, which are all upstairs, and then the, the huge convention floor room, which is downstairs. And they are inviting 34, I mean, the guest list and Artist Alley, and the, it's just, it's an enormous undertaking. It's its a big, big time convention or, you know, I mean, it's nothing compared to like, it's not on the level of New York, but at the same time, it's a big, big convention. And I enjoy going there every year. It's this sort of excursion of mine and, and, and taking Brett in the last couple of years has been really, really good. But, um, so... 
there's a DC-based show called Awesome Con, which has sprung up in the last few years, which I would gather is probably around the same size or maybe in competition. I believe it's in it's in the heart it's in Washington. But I haven't been able to go because it's usually around the time where um like in my case I would have graduation to go to for my high school that I'm teaching at or Amanda has some sort of work function. So like the first weekend or two in June is never good for either of us. But this was like really accessible because Richmond's roughly a little more than an hour away. And it was a smaller show kind of along the lines of the small, a couple of small shows I went to back when my collecting heyday of the nineties. But you had a number of vendors there who had a number of 50 cent and dollar boxes. You had a number of people who were selling um, booths and booths and booths full of pop figures, as well as there was one guy who just had all these random toys. And I remember at one point, uh, me and a couple other people were just kind of looking through this and we were laughing at like some of the things that they actually had toys of or like videotapes of. Uh, in fact, there was a... Uh, video cassette of the Robotech Masters cartoon and there's a running joke between me Stella and Dr. Ange where he keeps tweeting at us with pictures of Dana Sterling either holding a coffee cup or taking a shower and because and and I think um, I may have mentioned this on my Robotech episode with Don it's like there are so many shots of Dana in the shower in Robotech Masters so I, I took a picture of it and sent it to Stella with the caption of Hey, I didn't realize they sold porn here, and she found actually found that funny. But I mean, so there it was. It was kind of nice, but it was not the type of show that you would get like a three day ticket to. You go and you walk around, and you, it would. It's a really good way to spend like an afternoon. So I had a really nice afternoon there. I had the luxury too, and this was really cool. Um, this is something I don't always get to do at Baltimore, and I had the luxury of doing a loop or two before I actually dove into bins, which I don't always do when I'm in Baltimore, partially because I'm chasing creators around. I did around and I finally found a couple of places where I was able to get some things that plug some holes in my collection, get some things that were interesting. So I'm going to go ahead and just talk a little bit about what my haul was. Found a couple of half-off trade bins. I did pick up Volumes 3 and 4 Brian Woods series DMZ, which I had gotten Volumes 1 and 2 of uh, about a year or two ago. And I think there's like 12 volumes in the original Vertigo issue trades. And uh, I'm going to make sure that I keep picking those up when I find them on the cheap because I, I, I really like them. And, and I'm not a huge, I was never a huge Vertigo person, but this was a series that... I had always been kind of interested in and getting each of these for about four or five bucks was definitely worth it. Um, I also found volumes two, three, and four of a Jim Starlin series called Gilgamesh 2. I remember seeing this advertised back in, um, oh, I don't know, it was like the early 90s and I had been... Um, flipping through something around the time this came out I think in 88 or 89 and uh, I had been flipping through a back issue probably of like the new titans or something and I saw an advertisement for it It was one of those things where like this looks fairly interesting I wonder what this is about but I never like went out and really sought it out I remember looking for it in my else in amazing comics back issue bins my LCS at the time and there was only ever issue one and it was like the money he was asking for it was just you know i always found better things to buy or i didn't have the money 
Um, back in uh, September of last year at... I think it was back in September last year at Baltimore, I found the first issue. And um, along with like three of the four issues of the John, Burke, um, John Byrne OMAX series, which now I have to track down the other one. And when I was here at Richmond, I found two, three, and four of Gilgamesh 2. So I was like, oh, well, I have one. Let me go ahead and buy the others. I haven't read it yet, but th- that was that was kind of a, a get because I never see that. And they were, I think, like a dollar a piece. So... Also fished out from the dollar bins. Um, plugging holes in parts of my collection. Um, I am finally working my way through collecting the last few issues of the Tales of the Teen Titans, like the reprint issues of that series, which reprint the Baxter series. So they're not like a huge priority for me to get. I'm not missing any Titans comics here, but this is me just kind of being a completist. So I got issue 76, which is uh, Corey's wedding to Karis. I got three more issues, 12, 29, and 43 of Secret Origins. I got issue 425 of The Adventures of Superman, which is just one of those comics that I've never had, and I have like the comics around it, so to speak. So picking that up. I got a couple of issues of Punisher Warzone that are going to factor into a later episode of In Country. Two more issues of the comic book series V. This is something that I had at one point been like, I'd gotten like a couple of issues of it, and then I was like, okay, whenever I see this in a back issue bin, I'm going to grab it. And I've done it so many times at this point, I actually had to make a list of which issues I have and which issues I don't, so that I don't end up with two copies of one issue. You heard me talk to um, Gary Cohen about Amethyst, and funny enough, and I mentioned the fact that the first issue I ever bought was of her in from The Crisis. Which he was like, oh, you know, that's apocryphal because he didn't write that. It was a Keith, I think Keith Giffen at that point was writing the book. And that was because it was a crisis tie-in and I was collecting crisis crossovers at the time. Um, I do own the Showcase uh, Presents thing of the black and white collection. And uh, then I did go out and buy the remaining issues that were not in the Showcase. And I'm missing like one, I'm missing the last issue of the, of the ongoing series. And... Um, I picked up the special that wrapped up the ongoing series, so I'm no longer missing that. And I picked up issue two of four of the um, miniseries that uh, Giffen and Mindy Newell did in the mid-1980s after Crisis. So missing missing issues three and four of that. Um, I got issues 11, 36, and 38 of Suicide Squad, which slowly fills in the holes of that. I got three of the four issues of the Justice League Rise and Fall Rise of Arsenal series, which I'm not necessarily looking forward to reading, but this is me being a Titans completist. Uh, Speaking of Titans stuff, I filled out the issues of the Tempest miniseries by Phil Jimenez. Um, picked up part of the Dead Man miniseries from the mid-80s, right around the time of uh, about 1986, so right after post-crisis. Got a couple of Legends crossovers, Green Lantern Corps, and Action Comics uh, that I've been trying to collect anyway. And then the interesting indie ones that I got, I got a three-issue Robin Hood miniseries that Eclipse put out in the... Let me find the... Um, let me find this. It's 1991. Uh, Valerie Jones was the writer, Timothy Truman was the layout, Christopher Schenk was the watercolor artist, Willie Schubert Letter, and uh, it is a kind of a watercolored comic book three-issue miniseries telling of the story of Robin Hood. Haven't read it yet either, but I'm interested to see 
whether or not it's it's good. Um, and finally, I got a two-issue Terminator miniseries from Now Comics. Um, this was published after the ongoing that they had. So, like every once in a while, in an old, in a in a fifty cent bin or a dollar bin, you'll find issues of the old Terminator miniseries, Terminator ongoing series that Now Comics had in the late eighties and early nineties, and. By and large, they're not very good comics, but I've it's one of those things where every time I see one, I grab it, pick it up, and put it in my collection because there aren't that many of them. And again, it's almost like I'm building to actually just covering these on the show. Well, I saw these, and these are this is a two issue miniseries. Again, I I I'm so behind in reading. I haven't read these yet, and um, but I believe the writer on these was Chuck Dixon, so it might actually be better than what you are used to from that old now comics terminator series but i I really did have a good time and it was it was a nice way to spend a sunday afternoon so if you're in virginia the dc area or northern virginia or even richmond and they have these not just once a year they have them a couple of times a year and you want to spend just a couple of hours on a saturday or sunday um the admission's usually not very expensive i think it would have been less than a 20 dollar ticket um, and it's, it's, it's well worth it. I, I you know, found some pretty good deals. I think I, all in all, I spent about $20, $40, uh, not counting the money I spent on just the pretzel that I ate for lunch. I do have some emails to look at and I will, uh, look at those after one more trailer. So stick around. My name is Michael Bailey. And I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime, never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I've ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987 and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Long Box to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them, and then, well, I I talk about them. kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Long Box, a podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide every Tuesday or so at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. All right, so uh, for the first time in a while, I actually have a couple of emails to attend to, uh, which is great because I don't get as much feedback as I would want to. So if you're interested in sending me feedback or 
discussing anything in the episodes with me, you can go to the Facebook page, of course, and you can find me on Twitter at, at popaff, P-O-P-A-F-F. But you can also email me, and the address for that is popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. I have two emails from Trentus Magnus, who you can find over at Trentus Magnus Punches Reality, one of the really best podcasts out there for comics, movies, and TV shows. And he is writing both about um, his original uh, subject line is Pop Culture Affidavit Episode 74, Well, Everyone Else Is Doing It, which was the Fads episode from last June. I think it was last May or last June. And he writes, My dear Tom, allow me to begin to explaining that I am woefully behind in all my podcast listening. Between moving into a new home, getting a new job, and then getting the hell blasted out of me by Hurricane and subsequently Tropical Storm Harvey, I hope I have enough excuses for not listening to Pop Culture Affidavit Episode 74 while everyone else is doing it sooner. Um, I'm already going to put your email on hold, Magnus, and say, it's no excuse. I'm glad you're safe. Um, I hope your new home is, is doing well. Also, uh, to you and anybody else out here, if you go back and listen to any old episodes or you decide to go through the back catalog or play catch-up or anything, and you want to email me about it, please do that. Um, like I said, I, I always love listening. I always love feedback on old stuff. Um, I was recently going through the blog and just cleaning up links to things, you know, or or graphics or videos or, you know, things that have been like, because the blog's, the blog's much older than the podcast. So it was a matter of like, you know, were the links that I put in the post still active? Uh, was the YouTube video that I embedded still up or had it been taken down? You know, that sort of stuff. And I found some uh, old feedback from stuff. I found people every once in a while will leave new feedback for very old blog posts uh, and comments and things like that. And I, I plan on actually addressing some of that in a future episode. But please, by all means, like anything that you find, uh, either a, a blog post that I wrote or, or an old episode or something, send it my way and, and I'll uh, talk about it on, on the air. Back to Magnus's email. Aggravating fads is one of those subjects about which everyone is aware and which everyone blanks on when it comes to actually naming a few. So your episode where you name several is quite impressive. My theory is that if you ask someone what they think of annoying fads, naturally they say they'd hate them. But if you ask them to name three or four more annoying fads, the deer in the headlights expression will be your only reply. There is a circuitous, some would say unnecessary, convoluted way of complimenting you on your diligence, research, and trademark wit. Uh, I do appreciate that. Um, the funny thing is, is that half of the time it was, I think half of that episode came from memory, not of the not of the actual like research where I actually did go into the kind of the origins of these things, but coming up with the list was like me sitting around and being annoyed by like fidget spinners and water bottle flipping and going like what other crap were we into and just kind of like brainstorming a list when I should have been doing something more like constructive in my time like grading papers I don't know <laughs> anyway back into the uh the email fads for one thing I didn't know that the annoying habit my stepdaughter had of tossing partly filled water bottles <laughs> bottles of water around for most of the last year was a nationwide fad. I thought it was an incredibly damned annoying game she came up with all by herself. Discovering that it's an incredibly damned annoying game that everybody else is playing to somehow made me feel better. I won't pretend that's logical. I, I actually kind of get that, although at the same time, like, it really... I mean, <laughs> when you're faced with, like, 
when you're faced with one person doing it and you're just like you can get them to stop for a little bit when you're faced with like a hundred of them a thousand of them it's just it gets really like crazy irritating uh back into these email fads i damn if damned annoying games that everybody plays is a fad i submit paper football for your consideration remember paper football time remember how dumb it was yeah that was something i totally forgot um we used to play that in study hall i think when we would get completely bored or burned out from from doing whatever work we were supposed to be doing and he says as i recall the basic idea of the game such as it was involved two people sitting across from each other and tapping a piece of paper they'd folded into a triangle the idea was to play football i guess damned if i know really because i hate football and yes, I'm well aware of the virtual sacrilege of a native-born Texan hating football. Even now, somebody is probably mumbling that there ought to be a law against that. <laughs> but yes, the point is that paper football was an annoying fad. If you want to play football, why not play actual football? If you want to watch football, why not watch actual football? Was my generation so deprived of ESPN that they had to invent poor duplicates of already annoying sports in order to get their fix? Magic 8-Ball says, yes. And speaking of Magic 8-Balls and fads, yeah, yours and Hurricanes, Magnus. Except that's not actually the end of the email. I've got a bit more to say. So um, I just I, I will put your email on hold here and say that, yeah, some of the some of the things we used to do when we were, bo- we were bored was, um, was just uh, stuff like that or... Games like Mash, I think it was called, where like you know you something like with a it's called like like you decide like who you're gonna marry and where you're gonna live and what job you're gonna have or something. A girl, a lot of the girls played it, and I'm um, trying to think of like other games we used to play or people used to play those those little um, those little things you make a paper where you'd kind of choose a number and then kind of move the paper with your move this thing with your finger and then eventually you would open up a flap and it would tell you something um the way that and and students of mine still draw that that s and people say it's um you'll know what i'm talking about when i say people say that it is associated with the brand and i'm going to mispronounce this stussy or stussy s-t-u with an umlaut s-s-y and they refer to it as that S. Um, although I've I've read a couple of pieces because I was thinking about that, and I've read a couple of pieces where nobody can really determine where that came from, um, how it went viral, because they say that it was actually never associated with the brand. So there's debate over to that thing's origins. But I've seen that like all over the place. I see it like now. Um, you know, the, and that was that that S where you take like six vertical lines and you connect it to be this block s you know and and just uh and since i lived in a town called saville uh, a lot of people would do that and write saville with it so again the 80s the 90s um and yes the magic eight ball um i i could have probably gone even deeper into like the 70s with my thing but i did try to keep it to my particular lifetime because then I'm just getting into things that were like, hey, look at this crazy stuff that was around like when my cousins were older and things like that. But anyway, back into the continuation of Magnus's email. He is go. He uh, says, my dear Tom, for reasons already specified, I'm behind in my podcast. That's why, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Pop culture affidavit, the albums that made us who we are. So he's going to talk about that episode. And that was the episode 
um, from way back uh, in, in about April, March or April of that year where Amanda and I sat down and just went through that Facebook meme of list all these albums that were like really important to you and when you were a teenager. So I think it was like the early to mid-90s. And uh, so we took our kind of our trip through the early to mid-90s in music. And she did point out, I don't know if it was on air or off air, that we always seem to sit down and talk about music. And I do want to get her to talk, sit down and talk with me about television again because we did we did that episode where we did a commentary, the only, one of the few commentaries I've ever done about um, must see TV from back in like 1994, and I really had a, f- a lot of fun with that. And I'm planning something, uh, a mini series that will come out in the summer, if if I can make sure that I get everything together, so, uh, centered around television in some way, but I'm not going to reveal too much about it yet because I need to make sure that I get on the ball about writing and recording and guesting and all that stuff together. So I'm um, just kind of teasing you guys for a, for a pop culture affidavit mini series of uh, about five or six episodes that might start appearing around uh, June or July of this year. Anyway, back into His Excellency's email. He said, I believe I've told you on at least one previous occasion about my affection for chicken fried steak, movies with giant freaking robots, and episodes of Pop Culture Affidavit Code starring Amanda. I don't get enough chicken fried steak. Um, It's really good. If you ever have the chance to eat chicken fried steak, I I do recommend it. Uh, This was an amusing episode, not least because of the fun-festing, frolicking trip down memory lane of it offered. As a listener slightly younger than you and Amanda, it was interesting to discover where our respective musical journeys intersected. I love Smith and Led Zeppelin, and I was Team Pearl Jam from day one, and where they diverge, I'll pass in the Indigo Girls, thanks. And so, although our age difference is so negligible now as to barely merit discussion, that age difference mattered a lot back in the 90s. And um, I am going to, once again, put your email on hold and say, yeah, um, if I'm doing the math correctly, Magnus, you are either within a year or around the same age as my sister, who is three years younger than I am. And I can definitely tell you that back in the 90s, that age difference didn't necessarily definitely matter because I was a, you know, I was a senior in high school when she was a freshman and she graduated in 98. So she was listening to her fair of, I mean, you wouldn't, I don't think you would have been listening to boy bands back in the late nineties. Um, but she, you know, she was, but at the same time, she was also, she was getting into things on the more Dave Matthews side, which was probably where we intersected that and like bare naked ladies and some of the rock pop of the, of the time. But you do see kind of a, um, where the two of us like kind of really did diverge in interests um, especially since I wasn't around after I graduated high school, I was away at college. And then now as adults, the age difference really is not, it is negligible. There's really not that much of a, of a difference. In fact, I have, um, I have friends who are nearly a decade younger than I am. And it's, you don't see that much of a difference uh, either, to be completely honest with you. So, so yeah, you, you, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, but I think you're, you're definitely right on that age difference. It's interesting how it kind of like all mellows out or, or evens out as you get older. Um, and I always wonder why that is maybe because adulthood has such a adulthood seems to slow your life down. I, it's, it's, it's hard to describe. It's like, it's like a year when you, from the time when you're like, a little kid up until the time you're like kind of 
in your early 20s, like kind of around the time you're like 21, 22, a year, two years, seems like such a long time. And then now, as I'm 40, I'm going to be 41, I, five years, like with the exception of, of, you know, my son's childhood, you know, where we kind of look back and we're like, oh my God, five years ago, he was in first grade kindergarten, whatever. Five years like goes by like in a blink. And I'll be looking at I'll be watching a movie or I'll be reading a comic book and I'm like, holy crap, this was 10 years ago. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, that would have been like, you know, really just right in my mind. Like, you know, oh my God, Pearl Jam's 10 came out when I was a freshman in high school. Now I'm in college and, you know, like you knew the difference. You knew the, the you you knew the, uh, the length of time that had, had passed. So... It is just interesting how adulthood kind of evens a lot of that out. Anyway, back into what he was talking about as I went on this weird philosophical midlife crisis middle age ramble. I was happy to hear Natalie Merchant get some love and respect on your show. I don't think she ever got her due in spite of the fact that her voice is everything you guys said. Incidentally, I try not to hold anybody in moral contempt for having a favorite Springsteen album other than Darkness at the Edge of Town. I do love that album. There's that string of albums like from about really like 75 until the late 80s that are just um, really damn near perfect. I mean, I, I don't listen to Nebraska all the way through very often um, because it's just one of those albums that uh, that I don't know if you can, you know, all the time. Um, but it is a is it is an excellent excellent album. Darkness is another one, as is and Tunnel of Love, uh, which was the last, really one of the last. It was the last eighty Springsteen album. It was really one of the last original kind of E Street Band albums. I think that's an underrated album, to be honest with you. Um, but I think that's more because, again, maybe I'm older and I appreciate it more. Um, anyway, yeah, I recommend, I mean, I can recommend just about any Springsteen, but Darkness is is such an excellent album. Back into Magnus's email, I must say that it took a minute to realize that you were playing a clip from my so-called life in this episode. At first, I thought Amanda was drunkenly singing about how she wants to be sedated. I was even expecting you to go full Leto and take over for her, because I must say, you always seem that chivalrous to me. <laughs> and then I realized it was, in fact, a clip from MSCL, and it all made sense. And here I thought I was the only one who remembered that moment from the show. I should say the only reason I really turned into that show was my crush on Claire Danes. I had a crush on Claire Danes back in high school as well. So you might say that I came for Angela, but stayed for the music word all in all pop culture affidavit episode 73 the albums that made us who we are was another winner yours magic eight balls magnus and again magnus can be found on trentus magnus punches reality which is part of the two true freaks internet radio network um which again i really cannot recommend enough it's just an outstanding outstanding um show I do have one other email. Uh, it's from the last uh, one of the last episodes from the Jump the Shark episode, which was episode eighty-four, from January. And this one is from Luke Giaconetti, who is also a Two True Freaks Internet Radio host. Uh, he was on my show 
in country talking about First Blood and Rambo uh, sometime. I believe it was last year or the year before, and um, it might have been two years ago. It's been a while. So it took me a while to get in country back up again. Um, but uh, you know, he's uh, also got a number of shows uh, that he contributes to. He runs the show Earth Destruction Directive, which is about uh, monsters and robots of the Japanese persuasion, Godzilla, etc. I believe they're called Daikaiju. And um, he also has a blog called Being Carter Hall, which is about uh, Hawkman. He's also a huge Iron Man fan, so I would, I would go seek out what he is a part of over on the Future Freaks Network. So here's what he had to say. Hey man, wanted to write you a quick yeah, right, email about your Jump the Shark episode of PCA. Television is a medium built so much on tropes and repetition of similar ideas, so the concept of jumping the shark makes so much sense with writers and producers repeatedly dipping into the same well to try to keep their shows going. Regarding Elmo as the new kid on Sesame Street, I don't know how well that one holds up in respect, because the addition of Elmo the show was part of a larger shift from CTW in the format of the show. Elmo's rise to prominence led to the adoption of several segments which would appear in each episode, starting with Elmo's world as opposed to the more free-form nature of the earlier episodes. Additionally, Elmo was followed on by several other characters who also fit this category, namely Zoe, essentially a female pal for Elmo, who thought, although it was a serious attempt to provide a girl character reflective of the audience. Rosita, a bilingual character, and Abby Cadabby, the magic daughter of the fairy godmother. Frankly, I'll take Elmo over Abby any day of the week, especially at least because Elmo's world and its replacement, Elmo the Musical, used traditional Muppet techniques while Abby Cadabby's flying fairy school is CGI. I'm willing to accept the claymation Bert and Ernie's great adventures, but CBI, CGI Abby is a bridge too far. And I will put this email on hold to say that I was just basically kind of being a bitch about <laughs> Elmo. Um, but I will say that I've read in places that Abby Cadabby, and it might have been on like TVTropes.org, was kind of a cash grab in a way. Like, from what I understand, Elmo actually was a puppet that, like, if you watch very old episodes of the show, and granted, like, I didn't start watching. You know, I start. I watched Sesame Street when I was very little, and then, like, you know, the kind of the times I watched it again after that were when um, Brett was young, and he would watch some episodes here and there. But from what I understood, Elmo was like you can see Elmo in several older episodes of the show, but because he was just this red Muppet, like generic monster Muppet laying around, and it wasn't until. Um, and I don't remember the name of the actor, but came around, started using the, basically gave the puppet a character and a voice that Elmo became popular. And and so the popularity of Elmo, I do want to say was more organic than a cousin Oliver. And I just, like I said, I was just kind of being bitchy. <laughs> but Abby Kid Abby, from what I understand, is actually more fits that category that it was like, here is, you know, we had success with Elmo so maybe a fairy princess type of character will work and the kids will love it and we can merchandise the ever-loving crap out of it and stuff like that. So I th I would really agree with you more. I'm Like I said, I was just being a bitch. Um, anyway, back into Luke's email. As an aside, I have never watched a single episode of Saved by the Bell. You're better for it, sir. 
I have seen the opening and snippets here and there, including the inane bit about the caffeine bills, caffeine pills from what's her name from Showgirls. But to this day, I can proudly say that I have never seen an episode of this show in any capacity. No, the long-running high school-based series, which I was devoted to, was that's right, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Power Rangers. Power Rangers Zeo, Power Rangers Turbo, Power Rangers in space. <laughs> Neither show is really an accurate portrayal of the American high school experience in the 1990s, but Power Rangers had monsters and robots, so that alone makes it superior. Pretty sure Angel Grove High would trounce Bayside in any sport any day of the week. Just saying, for what it's worth, I have never seen a full episode of Blossom either. I've seen a few episodes of Blossom in my day. Um, remember, I have a younger sister, and when your parents are occupying one television and there's only one other in, uh, that is available, the rule in the house tending to be whoever was there first gets to watch whatever they want to watch. That's what happens. Uh, when you mentioned Exit Stage Left, the first one which popped into my head after Snagglepuss, of course, was the Drew Carey show and the replacement of Kate Krista Miller with Kelly, Cynthia Watros. Kate had been Drew's friend then and then on and off girlfriend with the obvious sitcom conceit that they were the one true pair who were destined to be together. But at the start of season eight, Kate is written out, Kelly is written in as another childhood friend of Drew's and she essentially takes Kate's place. Eventually, Kelly gets pregnant with Drew's child, and the finale revolves around the pair desperately trying to get married before the kid is born. Funny enough stuff, but you can't help but imagine that it's supposed to be Kate in that role, as she was set up of many years of stories beforehand. That show had a lot of problems by that point, not least of which was ABC putting it in a time slot which clashed with Monday Night Football, then burning it off in the summer, and then waiting a year to air the final season again in the summer. No wonder Drew and Craig Ferguson skipped over to CBS. Yeah, that that makes sense. Like, I watched... I don't think I ever saw the last season of Drew Carey. I, I did watch it for quite a number of years, and then... I don't know, maybe maybe by the time the last season rolled around, it was one of those things where because ABC kept screwing with the time slot and when it was on, I lost track of it. Cynthia Watros um, was, I remember as being, she was on Lost, uh, as, but I do remember before that she played Titus's girlfriend, Erin. Uh, Christopher Titus's girlfriend, Erin, on the show Titus, which is a show that um, I think is one of the more underrated uh sitcoms of the early 2000s or one of the I don't want to say it was underrated because I think it was like really you know got a lot of critical love I think it was just one of those um one of those shows that that really uh kind of burned brightly for the time it was on and then uh then just disappeared and, and a lot of that has to um it actually had to do with Titus himself which I remember hearing on a very old episode of Mark Marin's show where he had Titus on and he was talking about um, how basically he mouthed off one too many times to to Fox, the network bosses at Fox, and they were like, Haha, well, guess what? You're gone. And and that was one of the main reasons that the show um, the show was canceled because only, it only lasted a couple of seasons. But if... If you ever do get the chance to go f track down old episodes of the sitcom Titus, I do recommend it. As well as, if you can't find those, 
go look up Christopher Titus's stand-up special, Norman Rockwell is Bleeding, which is kind of the source material for a lot of those episodes, a lot of those stories in Titus, like where I was watching that, watching that episode, that um, special after the show had aired and recognizing a lot of like what would be on the show Titus. Either way, they're like, like painfully funny. I mean, it's just like painfully real and raw, but like really, really funny. And, and so you watch this was good on the show. Krista Miller would also play, and Luke probably remembers this, would also play, um, I'm blanking on her character's name. I think it was Jordan. Her her character was on Scrubs. Her name was Jordan, and I believe um, she played Doctor Cox's on again, off again wife. Um, and her and because her husband is Dan Harmon from who created Scrubs, and Krista Miller is Jordan just and and John McKin John C McGinley as. Uh, as Dr. Cox had this great chemistry and it was a, it was a really, it was a really, really good role for her. So, um, that, and that's another show that I would recommend at least for its first few seasons. Anyway, um, I totally get where you're talking about though, where you're, it's where like they replace one actor that one character with another, but that character is basically like, um, Erstaz, character and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that that correctly like um you know all of a sudden that's the character gets and I think I mentioned Michael Bendetti from in that last season of 21 Jump Street where it's like clearly like we need somebody who kind of looks like Johnny Depp who can stand in for Johnny Depp because we lost Johnny Depp and it's uh sometimes it it rarely if ever works um Kirstie Alley is one of the but Kirstie Alley's character was never meant to be another Diane so there you go. Anyway, back into Luke's email to wrap it up. He says, as far as they did it, you mentioned Mulder and Scully. I was reminded of a statement in, in an issue of Cinefantastique magazine, which was a season in review of the X-Files. I don't remember who said it, but it might have been David Duchovny or Chris Carter. When asked about the potential of Mulder and Scully hooking up, he said, and he's paraphrasing here, I don't know that we could would ever come out and say it. Maybe they will wake up in bed and have lost the last 30 minutes. It will be a mystery if they did it or not. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't watch enough of the show regularly to get really on the shipping train between Mulder and Scully. But what I will say is that I will never forget, and I don't remember if I told this story before, but my friend Harris and I went to see the X-Files movie, the first one back in the, back when I was in college, because Harris was uh, is, is one of my best friends. We've been friends since uh, we were, I think I was in the sixth or seventh grade, and I think we were in the sixth, we were, you know, we were in elementary school, so we've been friends, you know, for years, a billion years, and um, we would go see all those movies together. We would, we went and saw stuff like, uh, the Phantom Menace, and we saw uh, a bunch of the Star Trek movies, and Batman and Robin, and well, this X Files movie, and the Lord of the Rings, and so. So he, 
he and I go to see this movie, and there's a scene that there's the plot involves bees and something, and there's a scene where Mulder and Scully are outside of I think it's her apartment, and it looks like he's gonna go kiss her, and then he finds and he kind of leans in, but he finds like she there's a bee crawling on her neck, and it's you know it's part of the plot. And I apologize, I haven't seen the movie in like a very very long time, but I remember sitting in the theater and hearing from like a few rows up and in the center of the aisle like this and I'm sorry my fellow nerds basically like the comic book guy sitting there and like I like oh my god like totally different type of movie theater that you're in for the experience that you want here with Mulder and Scully so I mean you do you but please not in the seat there um so anyway, so that's the the they did it moment that I will always remember about Mulder and Scully. Luke finally finishes up and says, "Thank you for name dropping the Punky Brewster Death Fridge." I remember watching that one as it aired. That's another show that I think all of us remember watching as it aired, and I want to say part of that is because it was when we were younger, because that aired when we were pretty young. And I want to say that was on at like a 7.30 slot on a Sunday night. It was like it was an early show. And um, because I remember being able to watch it when I was little and I had like an 8 or 8.30 bedtime. So it was, you know, so it was in that sort of little kids can watch this bedtime before bedtime slot. And I remember that. I remember the episode where like Punky starts hanging out with the cool kids and one of them has um, a bunch of drugs, and she, the girl, like lays out all the stash, and it's all this like brightly colored, like the, the kind of the brightly colored pill stuff you see from that "We're Not Candy" old drug PSA. And although one of the girls calls cocaine nose candy, so that was that was kind of funny. But then at the end, it kind of goes to this whole thing about how like. Soleil Moonfry was one of the spokespeople for Just Say No, and she led like some sort of school assembly or march or something, and it was basically ended up being like this elongated Just Say No PSA at the end of the episode. And then I do remember the episode, one episode where they got Cubs tickets, and but Henry got them from a scalper who basically screwed him, but then they ended up sitting in the dugout with the Cubs. And then the other episode I remember was that Punky was like really, really excited about the Challenger and the teacher in space. And then she comes home like the day of the launch and the Challenger, of course, exploded. And it was this sort of like very special episode aimed like at people our age at the time who were like reeling from the fact that like we all we all watched either live or on like the news that the space shuttle blowing up and i think buzz aldrin made an appearance in that episode uh and i think that's one of the reasons i remember who buzz aldrin was like you know before i knew he was a man on the who landed on the moon that he was he uh he he was on that episode so that's my punky brewster history as a uh, in addition to probably seeing a couple of episodes of the uh, Saturday morning cartoon when it was on because I think I watched just about at least one episode of every Saturday morning cartoon at one point or another in my childhood. 
And Luke wraps up by saying, thanks for the fun episode. You keep making them, and I will keep listening. So, again, thanks, Luke. Um, you can find Luke over at Earth Destruction Directive, as well as uh, popping up here and there on other Two True Freaks shows. I am going to be back in a few weeks uh, with a episode about one of the greatest bands of the 1980s. And then in late April and into early May, I will be doing an episode or episodes on those two police-driven series that I promised at the end of the last Starfighter episode. Uh, this this kind of threw things off a little bit. Also, I was writing the I wrote the first half of the episode about the comic Underworld, and it was so big that I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to have to break this into two episodes. So I might end up doing that just to to save your sanity from having to hear me for two hours. And then into May and June, we have a few uh, surprises for you, plus another possible um, spin-off miniseries in the works about television. So until then, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at popaff, P-O-P-A-F-F. Don't forget to check out the blog. I do have been posting some blog posts here and there. And uh, as always, thanks for listening and take care. You got an attic full of pyrite because your roof's front a leak. Your fridge is starting to reek. Your hardwood floor's really squeak. But don't you worry, I'll just show you my amazing technique. Now let me glue that, glue that, and screw that, screw that. Any random draw you got, well, I can do. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit. All clips and media are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review at illustrative purposes only, so no infringement is intended. Feedback can be sent via email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. For more content, including show notes, media, and essays, be sure to check out the blog, which can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can support all the Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com whenever you shop. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, and come back next time for more pop culture randomness. Still rocking my screwdriver Got the whole world thinking I'm a giver Your heating bills are shocking I can solve that with some duct tape and some clocking Your house is a disaster, huh? Need a guy who's a master with a plaster, huh? Let me be your stripper Taking off lacquer, no one does it quicker oh!